welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub, and understanding this universe is really scary, man. <laughs> Today we are discussing Season 5, Episode 10, Bottle Episode. And we are back from crisis, but some things are certainly different. Let's hear about this, David. This is not a bottle episode. John has forced the Scooby Gang's old Earth-38 memories into them. Supergirl and Alex try and figure out how to work with Lex. Four Brainiac Fives arrive with a new bar set, and one of them plans to unbottle another Earth on top of this one. The three witches who used Rain are also back and help him. After an in-synced fight, Brainy turns off his inhibitors, goes green, and wins the battle with words. Then the Brainiac Fives and the Witches are bottled for no apparent reason. The two remaining orphaned Brainiac Fives merge with Brainy to join the Big Brain, after one tells him that he must work with Lex in secret to defeat Leviathan. Brainy starts by dumping Nia. Having lost Eve, Lena wants a partner, but she doesn't trust anyone. She goes with the devil she knows and starts working with Lex again. Leviathan's Gamemne, as Gemma Cooper, shows up to help Andrea down a VR path that will end in tears. Oh, and William has a new backstory. Yep. <laughs> Help me understand this universe, Trish. <laughs> Holistically? Gosh, there's a lot going on. Let's examine individual pieces first. Well, first, can we just cover the reality of this universe? Sure. Has this universe already existed? And is this universe now what has happened to all of these people? Has Lex been a good guy for all of the seasons of Supergirl now? And everyone remembers working with him? For all this time, and Lex actually also is good friends with Superman. I just, ah. Uh. My understanding is that is what happened in this new reality that has been created. And the new reality has a backstory that people, as far as they understand it, have always lived in. I think I have to interpret it that way. Yes, apparently. I mean, I'm, I'm not really willing to believe that this Lex has always been goodness and light, but everyone thinks that he is. Okay. That's how I'm reading it. And Lex also knows everyone's secret identity. Yeah, <laughs> because why would he want to be created back into this world without all the secret knowledge that he has gained? Apparently, he was able to bargain with the powers that be in order to keep his memories. Well, he wasn't recreated. He is like the Paragons. Ah. He, I think, just arrived back into the universe with all of the knowledge. I assume, like we have to assume that, nothing else makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he now knows everyone's identities, including Batwoman's, Batman's, everyone else in the Arrowverse. It's um, a wild, wild universe that uh, they've kind of dumped us into, and it does not make a lot of sense all the times I was suppose we'll get used to it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the best we can hope for is that we'll get used <laughs> to this new way of doing things. I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to pick apart, which we can get to as we go, but it is what it is and we just have to figure it out now. Can we start with the exposition at the beginning of the episode where Alex says, thank God John gave me my memories back. Are you kidding me? In the previous episode, we assumed John was sort of dumping his memories into everyone so they knew what had happened during the crisis. But no, they're actually saying John is somehow pulling in all of their memories from the old Earth-38 and giving it two people, so now they have two sets of memories for their entire lives? Is that what 
the state is? Mm, that wording had passed me by originally, and I thought he was just giving them a data dump, not a personal memory and feeling dump, because it's hard to know, yeah, without what you just said of him somehow pulling the memories from the universe that no longer exists, he doesn't know every memory of Alex's childhood, let alone someone like Nia's childhood. Well, it's possible he does go around at night and collect everyone's memories as a time machine backup so that he can do this just in case he needs to. We don't know. <laughs> That's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Alex follows this up with the line, Restoring the world's collective memories would reconfigure relationships on a such a massive scale that everyone's minds would literally be blown. I need a bigger lantern. Yeah, I, I don't buy that. <laughs> it sounds like it's just too much trouble. <laughs> Which, yes, with billions of people, I can imagine that taking Jean the rest of his life. But uh, I think he could do it if he wanted to. I can understand not wanting to because... For people who aren't supers, I don't know what the knowledge of the previous Alter Worlds is going to do for their lives. But this is a different universe. There are probably children who are born of people from both universes here. I don't know if restoring is the right word. Should they be restored and taken out of existence? These kids, this entire lines of human evolution? It just seems that because the writers and us are so used to the old 38 and it wasn't polluted by Lex, it is so much more justified in its right to exist. And this episode episode covers that a little bit. I've read some really interesting short science fiction about this kind of thing where um, parallel universes merge for whatever reason and people are left to pick up the pieces of their lives. I would be okay if that were an ongoing theme of, you know, people being weirded out, people walking into their apartments and finding different people living there. You know, there are lots of interesting things that they could do with this. I'm not sure that the writers will because, I mean, they have their super stories to tell, but there's a lot of interesting things that they could do with this world merger. A lot of them are very subtle. The parts of this episode that deal with the idea aren't bad. This is, I think, a good episode, and it tries to deal with some of those questions of loss and reality and worth. But just connecting it via crisis is challenging. <laughs> the one reference that I didn't understand is Alex now refers to the DEO as a hellmouth now. Yeah. And I think that's a Buffy reference, but I don't understand what she means. I didn't get it at all. I mean, I get that she says it, <laughs> and I guess it means it's a portal to another dimension. Is it? But why? And, you know, um, I guess that would be a good reason to build an, a headquarters there if monsters or even just aliens came out of it occasionally. But... um yeah, they, they said that, and then they just kept driving right down the plot. <laughs> so I guess hopefully we'll find out more about that later. Either they'll hopefully ignore it because our interpretation of it is not the same as the writer's interpretation of it, or it'll actually come to mean something. But if it just goes away, that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess we should talk a little bit about the resuming plot of Leviathan. So... I'm not sure whether this world has had traces of Leviathan. I mean, Leviathan is there, we're sure of that. But has it come out into the public at all yet? Or is it that they just can't find any traces of it now? Yeah, the question really is, did all the Leviathan content from earlier this season happen or not? And I don't know. Right. So, Andrea owns Catco in this universe, but apparently this Gemma... 
she looks like the woman Jemimne from the Leviathan Board of Directors or whatever they call themselves. Is that did she look like that to you too? I believe that is her, yes. Right. And she's also the board of directors for Andrea's company too, I think. Right. Because she was talking about, ooh, our share price could double. If we get everyone to start using the Obsidian virtual reality, not just as something that people with cell phones have, but they actually have their households inside Obsidian or Obsidian inside their households. Anyway. This dialogue is very confusing. She wants everyone to start living in their own virtual realities and presumably paying Obsidian for the privilege. And uh, Andrea thinks that's just a dandy idea. I don't know what it means, except for, I suppose, it's what we were doing that was bad, but more. (laughs) But none of the words quite made any sense to me. There's some structural things in the story about virtual worlds versus all of the multiverse we were dealing with before versus a bottled world and what's real and what's not. Like, clearly there's an attempt for the writers to sort of go in that direction. But for exactly what this means, I don't quite know. I I suppose instead of just a visual representation, they want to go to more programming all of your senses. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, my thought on those lines is that the more you can get people to retreat inside their virtual worlds and not interact with the real world and with each other in the real world, the easier they will be to manipulate. So the easier for Leviathan to take over. Yeah, I believe that is the case, that they want everyone to be lost in a virtual world so the real world can be theirs. That That is the most likely path we're going down. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. Here's a question. Is... Andrea still superpowered. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to find out. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) With the rewrite of William's backstory, it's very hard to tell. Yes, I thought that was a little intriguing. So in the universe that just ended, William had gotten a job with CatCo to try to get close to Andrea because he believed that Andrea was uh, responsible for murder, which she was, but in a different kind of way. Kind of. Uh, and here he's trying to get close to the Luthors because he doesn't believe that uh, Lex Luthor can be as perfect and wonderful as everyone thinks he is, which yay for William's instincts. <laughs> yes, William is not an idiot. Good to know. Yep. <laughs> So he asks Kara for uh, help, and Kara pretends surprise at the idea of Lex not being wonderful. But uh, I don't know if she actually agreed verbally to help him, but... I mean, with the questions she was asking and everything, it certainly seemed like she's uh, making partnership with him on that again. This is a new rebooted story, and there therefore had a lot of exposition and setup to give us in this episode. And a lot of it was just putting players on huh, the chessboard <laughs> on which side. So we're, we're basically making sure, you know, William is on the side of bringing down Lex And as we get to, Brainy is on the side of not bringing down Lex. So there's new secrets and new plans in the work. But but this is basically, I think, just setting up who's on whose side, just so we know going forward. Right. So Leviathan, uh, Lex says... What's Leviathan when he's warned about it, which reminds us that he was dead during the fall. But of course, he wants to be the top dog. And so if some other group is trying to be secret masters of the world, he can't have that. So he's going to be opposed to them due to his nature. Although I can imagine him trying to work with them 
or worm his way onto the board if things had been set up a little differently. Or he still could. I really did quite love Lex's line, what the hell is Leviathan? (laughs) It's just a wonderful line to drop where Lex doesn't know everything and there's suddenly this massive shift in what his plans have to be. Right. It is great. It is a little strange because in theory, Lex wasn't dead at that time. He was just hanging out somewhere with the Monitor because the Monitor must have brought him back right after Lena killed him at the end of the previous season. It was a question as to how aware Lex was as to what was going on and apparently not as much as I expected, but it is a great line. Did the Monitor actually bring back dead Lex or did he pluck a Lex from another timeline? The impression I had is he showed up Mm -hmm. at Lex's body right after Lena shot him and left and did something. Okay. So I would interpret that he returned Lex's recently deceased body back to life because this Lex even sort of describes having been killed and dying. So I, I would interpret it as this is the same Lex. Oh, right. You're right. All right. Um, Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about Lena. Oh, yes. I am really glad that off-screen Lex info-dumped the past to her so that we didn't have yet another game of what to tell Lena and when to tell her. On the other hand, I'm a bit surprised that Lena apparently swallowed Lex's info-dump whole. I do not understand the info-dump because we didn't even see it. So they could have had the monitor give Lex a thing to record Lena's mind such that she could then show up in the new universe and implant it. But they just kind of say that the monitor cut a deal with Lex, and really the monitor had nothing to do with creating this new universe. It was really Oliver as the Spectre and the Paragons that created it. So none of it really kind of makes any sense. (laughs) There's also a question as to when does Lena realize this? I'm leaning to think that, yeah, Lex actually did something to Lena to give her memories back because the new universe has existed for a while and Lena is shocked as soon as she wakes up. So I think something must have happened then and her new memories of the current universe was wiped and replaced by the old Lena memories, which is Mm. kind of creepy too. A lot of the scene where she wakes up is pretty strange. Yes, I am, however, really glad that Supergirl immediately resolved to tell Lana about their painful backstory instead of trying to skate along with, oh, things are good now. It gives me hope that, uh, you know, Kara can learn a little bit about telling the truth, especially to your so-called friends. She did go there to tell the truth. She actually didn't say it. She just implies that Lena understands because of the comments of betrayal. And Lena's lips, they do quiver a little. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, this dynamic. I quite like in this episode, we see Lena saying, okay, I have to partner with someone. And she just sort of goes around and talks to people and tries to figure out how to do that. And it's hard. And they do try and sell it having her decide to work with Lex again. Actually, it felt perfect to me. I thought it made perfect sense. I think it worked. And and really, because Lillian set it up so nicely that she's going to partner with someone she's not going to take a risk with. Right. Lena isn't taking emotional risks by partnering with Lex because she doesn't trust Lex. And so, of course, if she were partnering with Supergirl, she'd feel a little nostalgic for the friendship and she would be feeling that pain pretty much all the time and also being vulnerable to forgiving Kara and 
trying to be friends with her again. Whereas this way, she she's insulated from that. And she doesn't have to keep feeling those painful emotions. Even if she is, of course, risking the entire universe because of that. But hey, <laughs> this part of the season is still not about Lena making the right choices. But I agree her choices make sense. And they really even push it even farther when they have Lex do the truth seeker stuff. They are in the position of planning on betraying each other at some point, And they both know exactly the footing they're on. And it's a footing Lena understands and can cope with. Right. I, I agree. This this aspect of the episode works really well. And there's also not only the emotional thing, but the aspect of keep your enemies closer. If she's partnering with Lex, she can keep more of an eye on what he's doing. Yes, and, and that similar conversation we see with Alex and Supergirl, and even the conversation Lex had with them. He offers almost a similar thing, saying, well, we can work with each other, we can have peace, and we can also watch each other and try and... Uh, play a more complicated game. And I'm all for this universe having them playing a more complicated game rather than just assuming to punch each other. Right, absolutely. A comfy game of chess was pretty close to how he put it, is more interesting to watch than a war, especially given that we've had so much war stuff already this season. I'd rather watch Lex plotting and Lena counterplotting and Alex and Supergirl trying to figure out what's going on. I'd, I'd much rather watch that than another all-out battle. I find it a little sad that we're going to see Brainiac working in secret, so we have another layer of secrets, which kind of bites. But on the other hand, I do agree, this is a nice setup for what could be a very interesting plot that the writers hopefully will be able to pull off and hit the landing. Because I agree, it's really quite of a, a nice little setup. I mean, realistically, Supergirl isn't going to do anything because the world is happy with Lex. He's broken no laws that anyone's aware of. All she can do is wait for him to do something horrible such that she feels she has to act. Because Kara is not a, I'm pretty sure you're evil, I'm going to kill you now type of superhero. No. And therefore, she really doesn't have a choice but to play chess. Right. It's a waiting game. Exactly. Who puts their cards on the tables at what time as the plot moves forward? I'm really happy to see the rest of the season because this is this is interesting. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season for sure. Let's talk a little bit more about Brainy. First of all, all the alter Brainies. <laughs> I enjoyed that one of the Brainies was a woman. I uh, was interested by the kind of hippie emo Brainy turning out to have been making a grand plan underneath all the time. And let's be charitable and say he's driven insane by the pain of his loss, and that was why he would have been cool with opening the bottle and having his world emerge and collide with Earth and destroy them both inevitably. One of the challenges I do have with this plot is Kara makes a pile of really weird arguments. It's the only one we've got left, which isn't even true. And later she says, we can't undo the past, which none of this is actually about. They put off making a reasonable argument, which is, why don't we just together find a safe place to open your bottle? At which point, the battle's over. And it is nice that they did finish this with an argument, but it just seemed a little strange that such weak arguments were put forward before we got there. Yeah, it um, seemed a little strange to me, too. This episode did go by awfully fast, so I don't think that the weak arguments really crippled the episode. Episode. No, it did not. I was quite happy with the episode overall. So you're right about the weak arguments, but <laughs> I'm willing to let them slide, I guess. Because I really liked Berniak 5's line, why should this earth live when every other died? 
I mean, that's a pretty fair question. We have an Earth in a bottle. For heaven's sake, let's try and go and find a way of saving all those 7 billion people. That's a pretty valid path to go forward. Mm -hmm. I kind of hope that we do it. I mean, they may just drop it, but it seemed a pretty reasonable thing to want to do. Yeah, it did. It's certainly not in the way that he was trying to do it, which would have destroyed everyone and everything, or at least in the general Earth area. But uh, certainly there's no reason that the uh, bottled... 7 billion should just stay on a shelf forever instead of trying to find some way to uh, bring them out and back to life again. So hopefully we will see that coming to some fruition in the future. It was pretty hard because the episode started with Brainy and Nia just being so cute and so positively moving forward in their relationship. And you kind of had the feeling, oh, this this might not last. This might be too good. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the continuing things we see with Brainy is that he keeps getting good reasons, as he sees it, to keep things from Nia. And that is never going to be good for their relationship, let alone the rest of humanity. <laughs> yes. So here, once more, he has another good reason to... Well, he doesn't lie to Nia. He just dumps her rather abruptly. He tells her that it's because he's just a new person now and getting to know himself again. Which I can see why, if there weren't this whole Leviathan thing, he might want a little space to figure that out. If it was true. If it was true. <laughs> <laughs> but she's been pretty good at helping him to figure it out. So right now she's just hurt. I think that probably in the future she will start to think about things and wonder if something more isn't going on and that he isn't lying to her again. <laughs> It is unfortunate that we are back to the staple of the CW, which is some guy lying to a woman. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it will sort itself out. They already gave a timeline to this, which is you have to lie and be separate and give up everything until Leviathan is defeated. But at this point, oh, I don't know if I was Nia if I would take him back after this. Oh, well, that's a totally different question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying she's once she is done crying, she will probably start to suspect that that something may be up again. And who knows what she might dream as well, because she has other powers that could affect it. That too. It's a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a little tiresome to feel like there's always some kind of lying plot going on. You know, not just Lex lying, but which is expected, but friends lying to friends. But... There was a lot that I did like about the episode. <laughs> there really was. And also, I really quite like both how the story about Brainy and his mother both helps define the reasons for Brainy inhibitors being there, as well as nicely matches up with a bottle story and the whole question of sort of ownership and bottling and re maintaining realities and who owns reality. So I think there's lots of little threads that hold together pretty well in the makeup of the storyline. Just speaking briefly about realities, when our Brainy tells the other Brainies that they can't return to their own universes because the multiverse is gone, on. Yeah. Didn't some other new dimensions get created? We got shown at the end of Crisis Part 5, what, Earth 13 and whatever, Birds of Prey universe, Teen Titans universe? <laughs> you know, not 38 universes, but several others we were shown. So Brainy may just not realize that. I find it really strange because my fear is that the different CW writers aren't actually all on exactly the same page as to the <laughs> state of the universe, which I think might be a bit 
bit unfortunate, but it kind of feels like that. Because, yeah, there was Earth 2 with Stargirl starting up mm-hmm. and Earth 12 with something in Green Lantern and right. Swamp Thing and Titans and Doom Patrol. There's all these things that I think we're strongly implying that when the universe was created, a new multiverse is spawning as well, which has all of these things in it. But all of the writers seem to now be saying, no, the multiverse is gone. And maybe the best we can say is the characters are wrong and they just aren't aware yet of the new multiverse. And that is, I think, how I'm going to take it. Well, we went through several seasons of Arrow and Flash before the multiverse was explained to us when Supergirl and Flash were on a crossover episode. So maybe they probably won't wait another few seasons, but you know, maybe things will stabilize until at least next season because we've got plenty to explore on just this new Earth. And they can basically have unexpected people who don't have reasonable backstories because they were blasted around between the different universes. They can play with just that type of situation for quite a while before they need to really bring in other universes uh, in the the new multiverse. Indeed. I think it is just a matter of time. So I I, I think it's okay. While I agree, I really liked this episode. It's unfortunate that it was the things that they needed to hook it into crisis that really were the weakest parts. (laughs) The episode itself, I think, was really quite good. I find it a bit sad that they lost two legion rings that they could have collected from those other dissolving brainies oh yes we could have had a nice selection of really nice legion rings (laughs) but oh well so new brainy no longer has the three inhibitor advanced tech on his forehead instead he has three glowing dots on his chest that represent the big brain Which is the Brainiac's name for the cloud of Brainiac knowledge, I guess. I'm assuming it's a hive mind. I guess. I have questions. You really wouldn't want to be part of a hive mind with the actual Brainiac Brainiac because he's evil. Yes. And they're from thousands of years in the future. So is the big brain present now? Is the big brain timeless and existing at all times? The introduction of the big brain and this sort of hive mind was a bit surprising, and I don't quite know what it means at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're going to go somewhere with it, because otherwise why talk about it at all? But it's, as you say, it's a complication that poses a lot of questions as to how this actually works, and... Certainly for plot reasons, it was convenient for all the extra brainies to just go into the cloud and relinquish their physical bodies, as they put it. But I didn't see really why they should all agree to do that just for this brainy's convenience. Well, this is like what I was describing about the last arc of the comic, where everyone who didn't have a home magically are the ones who get killed in the fight. (laughs) This is economy of characters and a universe where they really don't want to make too weird of a change which they have to deal with going forward so it just wraps itself up by the end of the episode and i agree like the bottling of the witches and the other brainy also makes no sense i mean they have to be patient that doesn't mean they have to be patient in stasis in the other earth mm-hmm. there's a lot of things i know from a doyless perspective why they're happening but it's kind of a pity that they just have to bury these characters because they don't want to ask the question as to what they're doing during the rest of the season 
I think perhaps we will see a Brainiac-related villain going forward this season, where therefore we'll have to deal with big brain stuff. And there's still a question as to whether we'll see an evil Brainy again, but apparently the evil Brainy was more due to a broken inhibitor chip than just a lack of an inhibitor chip. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we will see more interesting Brainiac stuff going forward. Yes. Another interesting thing we'll see going forward is apparently, according to the photo that we saw at the end of the episode, the return of Winshot, who was from the previous Earth, uh, the previous timeline, had been working with DEO and stuff, and ended up going forward to Legion timeline in order to sort of replace Brainy, who was staying here on current Earth. And... Lex's plan to find out more about Leviathan, since he can't find anything about it now, is apparently to try and talk to Windshot, who is coming back or has come back from the future. I don't know what our brainy knows. You'd think our brainy would know the future of this universe as well, but maybe he doesn't know it since he has been back in time. Therefore, there's now a different future which Wynn might know. And it's not the Wynn that's coming back. It's just a Wynn. We have no idea exactly where this Wynn will fit in versus the other universes. So there's a lot of questions this opens up as to what is necessary to learn from the future. Because normally Brainy was the source of future information, and they kind of just ignored that fact here, and maybe with justification, that Brainy doesn't know this universe's future. Well, I liked Winshot as a character. I would be very interested to see the new character or the new take on the character after he has been with the Legion as an honored and valued member of the Legion for a while, not just dismissed as a techie. So if they bring him back and have some character development, that would be great. If they're just bringing him back for info dumping about the future, that will be far less satisfying to me. Well, I guess we will have to see in the next episode. Okay, anything else about Supergirl that you want to discuss? No, I think that's it. It's, uh, as we expected, a somewhat rebooted show, and uh, let's just sort of get used to the the new show we're in. Okay, well, I do want to talk a little bit about Black Lightning. (laughs) You'll remember from our last discussion, I was really, really curious to find out what's going on with Freeland now that it's merged into this Earth and suddenly going from a place where the only metas were people who had been experimented on the government without their knowledge, apparently. And now they're here with uh, aliens and other superpowered people and stuff. And so I was really curious about how that would be intersecting. But so far, just from the, the first episode we've seen, They're not really explaining that. (laughs) In the first few minutes of the episode, Jefferson is really excited about telling Gamby about Superman is real and I've met him and all this stuff. And he and Jen are the only ones who have any memory of the previous Earth universe. And now 
it seems like they're back in the same old fight. I just don't get logically how this can have been happening. I guess it's been secret enough that it's not been in the news, I guess. But I mean, there were the options of what they were going to do with the story that we were considering last podcast. And the answer is uh, they're going to deal with it for the first introduction of the episode and then they're going to ignore it. And that is a pity, but that is the reality of how hard it is to write massively connected crisis connecting universes the stories end up having difficulty making as much sense because there's an internet people can communicate even in this case it's a little more challenging right even if there's a news blackout from what's going on in freeland to the rest of the world and even if it gets dismissed as conspiracy theories or whatever, often Star City, they're not reading stories about uh, the horrible stuff going on in Freeland. Now that Jefferson Pierce is back, Black Lightning, why can't he just pick up the phone or, you know, whatever he does to summon the League and say, Supergirl, Flash, there's horrible, horrible stuff going on in my city, and I need your help. It just doesn't make sense to me that he would not ask for help. I got nothing. <laughs> there is no Watsonian excuse for the ridiculousness of comics, and this is just one of the ridiculousnesses of comics. There is a great Squirrel Girl novel where Squirrel Girl is trying to ask everyone for help. But they're off in space fighting Thanos. Mm -hmm. They even try, at least in that little story, to have an idea of, well, of course you're going to ask for help. Why wouldn't you? And there's a nice excuse because of sort of the time it was published. But as a general rule, unless your story takes place over in a very short amount of time, there is just... No sane reason that all these people aren't generally in crossovers, except for the fact that these are different productions and different writers and different producers, and there's complicated money at hand, and life is difficult. And it's hard enough in comics, but in a live action show where contracts and scheduling and everything else makes it even more complicated, it's just a nightmare. And this is kind of why I like to view every story I see as being in its own universe, because it's just not worth worrying about. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I guess I have to uh, endure this illogical situation as it is. But <laughs> I'm afraid you have to. Like, maybe in a season, mm -hmm. something will change. Uh, maybe when we see the next crossover event, which might not be a universe crossover, right. or might be as well, but might just be a Justice League live action TV show plot, mm -hmm. they'll try and find some path forward. But they've written themselves into a bit of a hole, and they avoided this hole partially by putting Supergirl in a different universe as the rest of the Arrowverse. Mm -hmm. And also, originally, there was no real plan, as far as the internet has told me, for Black Lightning to really be part of the same universe. Right. And and now they have to deal with the bed they've made. <laughs> right. Well, if I can just quiet that particular problem in my head, I still think Black Lightning is a good show. And I'm interested to see what happens now um, as they progress along the plot line they're in currently. A lot of good stuff on that show. But I'll just have to turn my mental eye away from that particular discontinuity. <laughs> 
and discontinuities are the new land for the rest of the season for most of these shows. They are all, are all going to be playing with discontinuity, but I expect Black Lightning will try and ignore it for at least the rest of the season. Right. Okay. Anyway, back to Supergirl. Lots of interesting stuff to look forward to, and I'm fairly hopeful and happy about what they've done in this first post-crisis episode to see where we're going from now. So I'm looking forward to watching the rest of this season, for sure. The chess game has started, and I hope the writers are up for it, because it looks pretty good. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks again for another interesting conversation, David. Happy to be here. If you, the listeners, want to engage in conversation with us, we are on Twitter at SG Supercast, and we are also on the Incomparables member Slack channel, uh, hanging out on TV and some of the other discussion groups. And I'd like to thank the Incomparable for hosting us. And, as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.